How the inner workings of my wrestling mind works, and uh, it's a very special curated edition of matches I thought Dave from the Wrestling Rewind would really like. Hey, here's Dave from the Wrestling Rewind. How are you doing? Oh man, it's a great day for wrestling, everybody. Oh my goodness, <laughs> I've never been more pleased to get a playlist selected for me than what you sir put together for me this week uh you guys of course can check us out over at the wrestling rewind.com where we like to look back right now we're going through some late 90s wcw but uh well you know we cover some current news as well but man it's nice to actually make an appearance on your show it's nice to have you funnily enough at least one person on this playlist did appear in wcw in the late 90s can you guess which one Oh my goodness. Mm. We'll have to think about that. Yeah. Well, as we go through, we have to think about it. I have, I have, a, I have I, a guess, but <laughs> that battle, <laughs> I don't know. It could be anybody. Yes, you're getting close there. We'll mm-hmm. get to that at the point then when we come and talk about it. So I literally, Dave said, I'd like to do a Troopany show because I think it would be cool. And I was like, well, Dave's a cool guy. He knows a lot about wrestling. And I'd like to have him on a Troopany show. But I wanted to do something different because, like, when Dara comes on, I pick the weirdest cards I can think of that I think he'll enjoy, or something that. And it, like, like a couple of weeks ago, we looked at Glate for um, a new product. So Dara was a good guy to have for that. And it was like, I've got to do something special for Dave. I've got to really think about this. And the key thing that we have bonded over is wrestling in bodies of water. Nothing better than <laughs> violence and water. I mean, that's that's <laughs> yeah. where the epitome of professional wrestling needs to go. Oh, the ideal situation where people fall on their heads. What you need is really hard surfaces that are slippery. Perfect combination. And you don't um, want to be able to see what you're falling into. Sharp rocks. It's all good. Just put a helmet no, on and do a moonsault. That's what I learned. That's it. That's that's the way we're going to kick it today. We're going to do some <laughs> incredibly stupid things in a professional <laughs> wrestling ring. And outside of professional yes. wrestling things. And some things that should never have been in a professional wrestling ring in the first place. However, we're going to start the show. I'll I'll be honest. If you do not like the exploitation of wild animals, do not watch this match. It is a famous match. It's a bit grim and terrible for many different reasons. Um, but it was from Big Japan Pro Wrestling's early days when they didn't have much money. And we're not the respected professional wrestling organization they are today. I say that laughingly, but they are. They are literally the third biggest promotion in Japan. They have a junior heavyweight division that is to die for. They have a strong division that has got incredibly talented wrestlers and arguably the death match, best at deathmatch division in the world. But, and, but, but back in the mid-1990s, they were lacking for when it came to budget, as it were. and. They couldn't do the big explosions that FMW could do. So they decided to go for shock and awe rather than just awe. And they worked in war. Why not death matches? (laughs) (laughs) So they went for the infamous Piranha No Piranha Double Hell Death Match, 
which is what it sounds like. You have a fish tank full of piranhas. First person to lose is the person that gets put into the tank of piranhas. Um, uh, Kendo Nagasaki, Mitsuhiro Mitsunaga were, were the ones involved in this unfortunate event. Um, Mitsuhiro Matsunaga, we've talked an awful lot about. He was a big opponent for Sushi and Ichi in FMW in the mid-1990s. And Kendo Nagasaki, sadly no longer with us, we've also talked about because he was famous for numerous reasons, not also up to and including he was one of the men who trained Bret Hart. Um, so, you know, he was quite good. Um, and also was one of the moving forces behind um Tenenry's war, was a big name in all Japan pro wrestling, was confident of Giant Baba, and was one of the founding members, uh, along with the great Kojima, um, of the BJW products, which he didn't stay with for too long, and was a main event for them, and was a tag partner of the great Muto in Florida, great Muta, I should say, in Florida. So he was a well-traveled veteran, a journeyman, if you will. And Matsuhiro Masaga was a bit crazy and was a martial arts expert, had brought in New Japan, big in FMW. And this was interesting. Dave, your thoughts? One of the greatest things I've ever seen. I, don't, <laughs> I am so happy. Anytime I get to watch a death match and boards with barbed wire are just a side piece, and are just there, you know, to use for violence. But hey, that's not what's really gonna hurt you, quote unquote. Oh my goodness! <laughs> I, I, sh okay, yes. We threw out the disclaimer, so the disclaimer's out. So you can bracket everything I'm about to say within that pets, animal are good, you know, thing. Just bracket all that. That's my real opinion. But let's go back in time. Oh my gosh, this was amazing. Uh, you've got this fish tank in the middle of the ring. And granted, there's I actually did research on piranhas because I was genuinely curious about this. How deadly are they? Where did the myths come from? A lot of it goes back to Teddy Roosevelt in the early 1900s. They don't really devour humans. But and there's some species that are completely vegetarians. I did. There's just something about it, especially then when you see somebody's face getting near them, that you instinctually have this gut reaction of, oh, my gosh, what if they do like chomp and take a little bite out of him? And I thought the character work was really well done. I thought it was sold beautifully. Uh, maybe not the fishes, the poor fish, but um, yes. <laughs> there's nothing. And watching and you'll have to excuse uh Uh, which which was which? Who was um, who was the skinnier of the two? If you bear with the commentary, okay, that's that's yes. Mishihiro. Yeah, or is that Nagasaki? Uh, Matsunaga was the blonde-haired one. Okay, uh, and um, uh, Kendo Nagasaki was the uh, slightly balding, thinner chap in the black. Okay, those so, very black pants. That won't gotcha. help you at all. No, yes. no. And well, what was good was there were subtitles when they were introduced. What wasn't good is the subtitles were also in Japanese. So, you know, <laughs> it happens. So uh, Matsunaga, <laughs> seeing him being lowered towards the ring, or rather towards that aquarium, if you will, and credit for them for using really brackish-looking water for those piranhas. They really took good care of them. Um, <laughs> seeing his barbed wire... <laughs> 
head bleed into the water and kind of disperse in that beautiful kind of uh, Mulan-esque clouds from the old Disney movies as it goes throughout the water. It made me so happy to see the blood in the water mix. And was it absurd? (laughs) Yes, it was absurd. The only thing I had a problem with was... I felt like from a spectator's perspective, having the barbed wire in the corners on boards just took away from the visual a little bit if you were in the audience. But somebody watching it on video, I was so, so happy. And I have no problem (laughs) saying that. (laughs) Yeah, I mean, I think the thing is, it's the the element of danger is the important thing in death matches. It doesn't even have to be that dangerous. This is not dangerous um, at all. I mean, okay, yes. I was more worried that they were going to break the tank and someone was going to get, like, a glass cut. That's what I was worried about, not a little nibble. You know what I mean? No. So that's what I'm thinking about in my head. And, of course, I'm thinking about, you know, the fish or whatever. I don't know. Sashimi's good. So there's things to consider, I guess. But the element of danger wasn't really the focus of the match, if you look at it. That way, and that happens a lot in death matches, to be quite frank. What's really dangerous is the side stuff that they do, not the big yeah. spots, but oh, the big spots still made me feel it. Yeah, yeah, no, it's it's, it's just mental. It's also, not the first time Matsunaga had wrestled with animals. Really? Bears? Yeah. Any bears? No, alli- alligator. Oh my. An alligator, alligator or a crocodile. He lost a big match. I think it was BJW again. And he wrestled an alligator, which was obviously heavily doped up, which may have been even more reprehensible than this. As you um, yeah. And it was just like they had, it was it's what you do when you start a promotion. We watched FMWE at Sushi Nita's new promotion the other day. And it, and it, it does like, it smacks me of, that at least with FMW, there's a narrative from previous only to promotions, FMW, and so on and so forth. Um, the kind question, of like lead up to this one, yeah. Question I have to ask so, BJW, is this the same brand, if you will, that had the opera aspect at one point? No, that was DDT, DDT, okay. maybe, yeah, maybe Osaka Pro. We're going I've seen to some clips, next. and that was that, that, that blew me away. I remember seeing them like maybe 15 years ago. <laughs> Just coming out singing opera on the way to the ring. I was like, I don't know what this is, but I'm watching it. <laughs> We've got some DDT to look at next. But yes. Um, yeah, I mean, the, the thing that always struck me was like, well, we watched the FWE show that was from last week, Independence Day. Funnily enough, it was on the 4th of July. Um, brilliantly, absolutely brilliantly from a fruit and veg market in Tokyo. Awesome. Um, anywho. The opening match was a, a tribute match to Atsushi Unita, where two wrestlers both played essentially Atsushi Unita, and they didn't have exploding barbed wire. They just had tinsel off Christmas trees. But they acted like it was exploding barbed wire, and the fans got the joke and bought into it and reacted like it was exploding barbed wire. So you don't awesome. actually need you don't actually need the dangerous thing. The dangerous thing is purely there for the drama purposes. The dangerous thing could be a cuddly toy. It's very PWG in that aspect, or Shakara, where the fans are kind of in on the joke, if you will. Yes. I don't know, though, the BJW match. I just enjoyed it. There was something really wrong about (laughs) it. I just watched uh, last night also um, AWR. I watched night one of their tournament of 
whatever their tournament of death is. And there was some stuff in there that I was like, this is too far. It, the stuff that they're doing nowadays on the independents in the States and ICW is doing it the best out of anybody, I think, in the world. But uh, mm. what AWR was doing just was like, oh, OK, can we tone it down a little bit? Like that was match one. I just the, yeah. Oof. Dale Patrick is yeah. great and all of them and Madman Pondo and shout out Danny DeMonta. But whoo-wee. I, I think I'll stick to my crazy 90s stuff <laughs> over what I'm going to see. Like, I remember, it, so I know it's obviously not for everybody, this type of wrestling. I remember the first show I ever went to, I had not seen videos online in advance. And I remember having to physically sit down because I got nauseous. <laughs> and then a year later, it was the event that I had to go to. This was back when CZW was still thriving. Yeah. So it's kind of, uh, you get desensitized, if you will. It happens with other yes. forms of media. To a point, you're like, okay, how far can you take this? And you're like, whoa, 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 that happened? Because somebody just punctured the a couple weeks ago doing something. So, you know, things need to, you know, keep it in mind. But I want to, I know you can't do it anywhere, but I want to see this match happen again. I, I'm not <laughs> sad. Like, I, I rewatched it twice. I'm not going to lie. I know it can't happen. No, no, because it's we, we can't have two things like that nowadays. Probably yeah. shouldn't have done that. Let's be honest, to be honest with you. I, I understand what you mean, though. I mean, no, like, it shouldn't have been friend. done, but since it was done, I'm watching it. <laughs> like John Dinsdale, who uh, co-hosts the show with me on a regular basis, is the editor of Death at Steel Share Wrestling Magazine and reviews oh, cool. pretty much every death match that happens on Earth. And I am concerned that he does get too desensitized because <laughs> yeah. he, he just kind of like casually mentions that someone got four staples in the forehead um, and things like that. But I mean, yeah, it's um, five staples to close their mouth during a match, and that was just a little side piece. Didn't matter. Yeah, it was more the yeah, saw in the bat that cut their chest. I was like, "What is happening?" Like, yeah, we used to kind yeah. of, you know, sell things, and there was some cases involved. Guys, what happened to that? Now it's like we want to be so real that the elements of danger are over. Like that's what I loved about this is the fact that the element of danger and it's you like. I mean, the piranhas aren't teddy bears, but they kind of are depending on the species. So that's the most yeah. absurd statement you'll ever hear. But um, it's true. <laughs> but my point is they sold this well and they made it climatic and they actually had psychology to it. It wasn't just let's improvise with light tubes. Yeah, that's about it. Really. It's, it's insane. And yes. it is kind of like um, the level BJW were at in the mid-90s. They, couldn't, they didn't have the budget to go hey, let's have double hell death exploding barbed wire matches. And because, and again, it's, it's also down to the draw. That doesn't necessarily make money. Right. Like the reason why Atsushi Anita versus Jinichiro Tenru put 60,000 people into Kawasaki Baseball Stadium, a stadium designed to only hold 35,000 people, is because Atsushi Anita was a massive star with all the charisma in the world. That's the reason why. You know, and it had a strong undercard, and Combat Toyota and uh, Megumi Kudo were massive draws, arguably the biggest female draws in wrestling history up until the current run in WWE. And that's why they drew massive crowds. It wasn't to do with the fact that someone was going to get blown up. It helped. So I'm not saying it didn't. Right. But it's oh, it's to do with, if you, yeah, if you've got a wrestler with star power, they can pretty much do anything you like. Well, and that's uh, why I like... Yeah, sorry. That's why I like my death matches in tournaments. I don't necessarily want to see them every single week. I don't want to watch a promotion where it's that's what they're doing every week, which I thought AEW almost started to do at first. 
But you get the guys who are the best at it, and you bring 16 of them in for a weekend. And that I yeah. absolutely adore. And then, and this is one of the things that made CZW really good originally on, the guys that came out of there were phenomenal. Moxley, Ricochet. I mean, <laughs> really, really talented guys went through their system because they also had regular wrestling for the rest of the time. Now, there is, you, you, at this point, I feel like you do feed a niche. It's almost gotten to that point with this kind of streaming yeah, services yeah. that are out there. So I think ICW does that well. Um, FMWE will probably do it well as well. You probably do need to be targeted, but you bring up a great point, And that's have these show pieces or have these weekends of tournaments but you need the product that what well, you mean, let's just be frank. You can't do these matches every week. You will die. Like deathmatch won't be a gimmick. No. No. And there's plenty of evidence to show how bad for the health is. Yeah. So, sure. you know, yeah. Sure. But I mean, yes, you are right. It's it is just a matter of like do it sparingly and in the right way. And even that FMWE show, there was only two violent matches out of the five, you know, so it wasn't and the, the one of those violent matches was kind of a fun violent match. It wasn't a violent, violent match. The main event was violent, but there you go. Shall we move on to something wholesome and completely less violent, but still oh, with yes. water? Oh, with water <laughs> and childlike wonder. With so many Indeed. guys, a couple guys I've met. So very cool to see. <laughs> so we're going to go to the glory days of DDT. When they went about shocking her in a completely different way. We've called DDT a little bit on this podcast, and we want to do a proper beginner's guide to DDT as best we can. But this is one of their most famous matches from their early days, which featured a tag team of Goto Ihashi and Michael Nakazawa of AEW fame. Goto Ihashi was a UWF shoot fighter. And it's always been an edge of having proper wrestlers in DDT, which is a bit bizarre because it's arguably it's the least proper wrestling promotion in the world. And they went up against the Golden Lovers, Kota Ibushi and Kenny Omega, arguably the two best male wrestlers in the world today. Um, but before they were the best wrestlers in the world, they were very good wrestlers for the DDT promotion, which featured generally how to do wrestling in a completely different way. And what they decided to do was to have one match kickoff, which was uh, Harishima versus Sanshiro Takagi, who is the boss of DDT and still is the boss of DDT and now the boss of Noah and Tokyo, Joshi Pro. Mm -hmm. And um, that went on, and then they kicked off the tag match at the same time, and they kind of interlaced with one another. Uh, and, and it was in a campsite next to a river with a waterfall, uh, which is <laughs> very picturesque. And here is where we get our bodies of water from. David, your thoughts? Waterfalls, moonsaults into uh, moonsaults into lakes, suplexes onto porches, fireworks, <laughs> umbrellas. What did this match not have, other than safety precautions? I don't know. <laughs> um, I. Yeah. It's funny because this is the time period where I was going to see Kenny Omega. I grew up in New Jersey. And he used to wrestle yeah. for Jersey All Pro Wrestling. And so I used to go to see him very young. He just had a thing. One of my favorite matches of all time was Kenny Omega versus Danny DeMonto at a Jersey All Pro Wrestling show. Best show I've ever seen live, hands down, that particular match. Not the show, that match. And so having seen him grow up and to see where he is now, and these guys are around my age, so it's kind of cool to have grown up with them. 
it's cool to look back. And as I watch them and I watch Coda, who's, who came over to JAPW one time, met him there, very down to earth guy. He just to watch these two in their early 20s do this was such just took me back to that time period in my life as well. Where, yeah, I could nitpick and say, well, start off a little rough. They botched a couple moves. This guy didn't sell well. And But what we were talking about before came full focus in this match when you were talking about the tinsel, which is the fans got in on it, and so it didn't matter. They got in on the ridiculousness. They bought into it, and then they just started to go crazy. And it was one of those things where as each thing happened, I just started laughing. And this was the other one I rewatched. I, 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 I was <laughs> laughing so hard the first time through. I actually made my wife come and watch it with me. And she's like, I don't know what this is, but you're really happy and your commentary is amusing me. Like, that's that's how much <laughs> I like this match. And so, I mean, there's so much absurdity going around where it just hits the point of, oh, there's Kenny Omega going down, a, you know, don't going down a, a, you know, a waterfall sliding down, which is probably one of the more dangerous things. Or there was a vertical vertical suplex off of a hill we're getting getting rolled down i'm like that's really dangerous but at the same time i'm watching it i'm just watching it now and watching nakazawa (laughs) being suplexed down a hell and (laughs) kotrabushi moonsaulting somebody on a concrete weir is just yeah, just like, what what were you doing? Sorry, I didn't mean to interrupt, Karen. No, no, I'm glad that you did, because you're right. I, actually, the spot that got me the most was that it was a bridging dragon, maybe, or a bridging German suplex that they did on the planks, and also Coda getting whipped into the tree. So that's how you could tell, like, from somebody who watches a fair amount of wrestling. I can see the moves that are done well. So you see crazy moonsaults. I'm like, oh my goodness, thank God they didn't slip. But he landed it perfectly. Everything was exact. So I know he's safe. But you never know when you're getting thrown back into boards or you're getting thrown into a tree. Like, so it's the little things that actually made me go, ooh, I don't want to see that. <laughs> but you want to throw fireworks at each other? <laughs> <laughs> run away up a street while trying to protect yourself with a clear umbrella have at it i'm all for it so like the, the things that look dangerous i'm like that's hilarious then things that are you know kind of subtle i'm going no 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 please no don't oh no they did it <laughs> yes uh kota and fireworks um <laughs> you, you probably you've probably heard the uwa story about what happened at uh, resgal in london no you're gonna tell um, me right now yeah, I am. Um, Kota did a <laughs> guest slot at the Res Gala in London, and I know Emily and Dan, who promote the UWA, and Emily was a guest on this show about a week and a half later. And she said, well, when we thought about it, it was a good idea at the time, and then Kota started looking at the website, and I'm pretty sure that the fireworks he ordered were bigger than the ones we decided on. <laughs> oh. And and uh, the match went out to the Resgal is underneath a railway bridge. So you can imagine like a, a, a London road over a railway. Sorry, sorry, a London railway line over um, like the little arches underneath is a warehouse in each one. And one of them used to have a nightclub in it called the Resgal, which had a wrestling ring in it. And it's where Pro Wrestling Aid did a lot of their stuff. And it's where Lucha Britannia did a lot of their stuff. 
it's kind of mixed stuff uh, for a lot of people because a lot of the things that happened in speaking out last year, they happened mm-hmm. there. It's not necessarily a happy place for a lot of people. So I, I have mixed feelings about the place. I miss it as a wrestling venue. It was awesome. And I've seen the greatest professional wrestlers, my absolute heroes in that building. So I miss it as a wrestling venue, but I can understand why some people do not have fucking memories of the place. It's always a mixed bag when you talk about these things these days. But anywho, so they go outside and he's having this match and he stands on a car, I think it was Dan's, and sets off two fireworks, which he then rubs on his chest. Okay. You know, I thought it was bad enough in this DDT match when he set off the one that had like 20 little Roman candles in it that he was firing off. And I'm looking in the background going, there's a parking lot there. I hope he doesn't set any cars on fire because I already saw his button get set on fire by one of these things. Like, what is happening at this point? It's just the, it's one of those things where. Well, well, one of these, the thing was, right, he just started, um, well, obviously, we kayfabe it. Remarkably, Tiger Mask W appeared on a New Japan show two weeks later. Okay. Um, and he had these firework like looking marks on his chest. It was that that was the show Emily was on, and I said, Tiger Mask W seems to have been in the wars a bit. I, I don't know what possibly caused those burns on his chest. And she was like, Yeah, I have no idea what caused those burns on his chest. <laughs> That's <laughs> funny yeah, how something like... becomes your gimmick and you just roll with it, and then you have mm. to Again, the desensitization, even if it's something that can be done safely at a certain aspect, you keep going higher and higher and higher where you go from jumping off your roof onto uh, mattresses to jumping off of a hell in a cell onto a non-padded table. It's like, where is the line? When do your fireworks get too big, Coda? In my opinion, never. <laughs> yeah, At least they were in the guy. woods, not. Well, I don't even know. You can set a forest on fire probably easier than a bridge. Yeah, I don't know. Don't it's set like, either on fire, for, is my yes, opinion, well, but I don't know. Why, why are you setting fireworks off in a forest? And then the match finishes <laughs> when Kota <laughs> does a moonsault It does need to be said that the fans are encircling them for this entire thing, so the, the fireworks are going off into the fans as well. Oh, yeah, yeah. And they're just, Nobody they're just sees- laughing away. Nobody cares. Nobody sues in Japan, do they? So that, that's fine. Um, Shall we move <laughs> on to the next match? Characters. Yes. Let's just- <laughs> <laughs> okay, so the next match is just like, I'm, we've never looked at a British Battle Royal, and I wanted to look at a Battle Royal from Britain because they were dreadful a lot of the time. And I picked about the best quality one I could do just because I wanted to see how you'd react to these characters and wrestlers and yeah, talk yeah, about them. You I'm more than anything. The worst one possible, just be honest. <laughs> None of them were great. I'll be honest with you. There's nothing this worse the than this of... one. I don't believe that. For a <laughs> I, I literally the... went, why Why am I watching this? Why is this on this playlist? Who are... I was waiting for something to happen. And, it never did. <laughs> <laughs> and nothing did. No. <laughs> But do give background because that needs to be put in place. Okay, so so we'll go through the participants first, shall we? So you know who you're dealing with. Right, let's see okay. if I can spot the WCW guy. All right, then. So first person was Terry Rudge. Terry Rudge is about the most boring name any wrestler's ever had. But he made a really good living going around and being one of those British wrestler guys on the international circuit. Back in the 70s and 80s, there was 
an international circuit was pioneered by guys like Bert Azarati, basically, because no one would employ him in the UK. Um, and um, those guys. And it kind of always existed. And a lot of people would go off on big, long international tours because they'd make tons of money, like ludicrous amounts of money. And no one ever saw them wrestle because it wasn't on TV. But they'd be wrestling in arenas in Burkina Faso or <laughs> Singapore and, you know, doing these massive gates. And they weren't famous at all because, you know, they wrestled on TV maybe once every six months. But they were making money hand over fist. <laughs> was this like the Regal Johnny Sink crew as well? Or was that a different type of... Because I know they wrestled in Germany and did tours a lot. Through yeah, Europe, Regal... Those British guys... Yeah, Terry Rudge was one of Regal's heroes. Okay, he was like he was because he, he when he when Regal saw him wrestle, he was like super smooth and like forty five minutes no sweat, just mm-hmm. just just chain wrestle, bury everybody on the edge of the seat, just like a proper technician. And Regal said, "I want to do that. How do I do that?" <laughs> yeah, because <laughs> original original Regal wanted to be like Dynamite Kid, Tiger Mask, Junior Heavyweight, and then he grew far too big to be that. So then he's like, "Right, well, reset my goals," and it was like international wrestling that's the place where to be so that's that's what he did next we have uh tarzan johnny wilson um who's in the leopard print as you'd imagine this is one of these these are the two baby proper baby faces <laughs> very unstacked or stacked yes. in the wrong direction i should say yeah, like yes. faces and seven heels <laughs> <laughs> next to be announced is king kendo now here's the thing right now we talked about Kendo Nagasaki, the Japanese Kendo Nagasaki, earlier in the show because he was in the first match we looked at. There was a British wrestler also called Kendo Nagasaki who was not Japanese. His <laughs> name was Pete Thornley. <laughs> and, <laughs> and in the mid-80s, eight, mid as Kendo was kind of winding down a little bit on his career, he had a protege, this guy, who would become King Kendo. So they could use the name, you see, without with Pete not having to leave the house. So, yeah, so Pete would do the big matches and King Kendo was kind of the gimmick for that. Next up was Colonel Brody, who actually, believe it or not, is a badass shooter and used to work at the shoot wrestling booths in Blackpool, where Steve Steve Regal and Robbie Brookside, the now chief trainer at the British Performance Centre, actually got their starts, believe it or not. (laughs) Um, uh, yep, Ken Kendo. Who else have we got? Um, we gotta address Pat Roach, yes, bomber Pat Roach, indeed. Uh, Mm. Shakespeare, well, famous actor of Alfreda Saint Pet fame in the UK, was literally on telly every week and one of the biggest uh TV stars, but up until him, okay. Yeah, but up until him being on uh, that show, he was always a heel. (laughs) Oh, okay. So, because he was, you know, he was, my mum didn't like him, he was dirty. That was the kind of thing. That was was the phraseology at the time. Dirty wrestler, don't like him. Um, But yeah, but but of course, he was also starred in several films. I think he was in one of the Indiana Jones films, wasn't he? So, Next up, we have um, the sadly deceased King Kong Malkirk, who actually did die in the ring of a heart attack, unfortunately, not long after this particular match. He's Second big, stolen he's name. Bald. Second yes. stolen name in this match, yeah. I, fun fact, <laughs> I used to, uh, back in college when I worked and delivered pizzas, I used to deliver pizza to King Kong Bundy. 
who ordered wow. quite a bit of food. Yeah. True story. I, <laughs> instead of a tip one day, he gave me a shoot interview DVD. And I was like, thanks. I guess. Wow. Yeah. How cool is that? Yeah. That's awesome. And I uh, like wrestling. And so, yeah. Um, <laughs> but it was, it was kind of hard to see him in that later stage of life because things were not, his health was very bad. Um, but yeah, he lived very uh, close to me. So, but yeah, cool. really, really cool. So, a little connection there, if you will. But King Kong Kirk definitely has the look for sure. I mean, yes. just steal names. Why not? Nobody knows back then. <laughs> I don't even know who stole whose. Well, yeah, exactly. That's it. Uh, Scrubber Daily. Um, again, I have no idea why he's called Scrubber. <laughs> I don't know if it's a great name, Gen- though. Because that's what you should do. <laughs> <laughs> yes. I mean, Scrubber Daily as well. Scrubber, Scrubber was not a nice name at the time. It was considered a bit like, you know, a lady of dubious reputation in British slang would be a Scrubber. Uh-huh. You know, so, just the uh, what, fun of it is what hit yeah. me. So not yeah. even knowing the, the linguistics there, I still thought it was <laughs> And last, but by no means least, your giant haystacks. Um, <laughs> who is both giant and a haystack? Um, haystacks was actually one of the best big men in wrestling, British wrestling ever produced. He was a bit of a wrestling um, onside genius because he really couldn't move that well. He was never going to be a technical great, but he did understand his worth and he did understand uh, how to be a spectacle wrestler, which mm. is what he was in British Rings for a long just because he was bigger than everybody else by about 40 stone, <laughs> or about 200 pounds bigger than everybody else. So which one of these then was a star in WCW in the late 90s? I, I don't even... I, none of these people look familiar. Um, let's go with... Uh... Well, I know it wasn't Pat Roach who was going to be my. I'm going to go with. I'm going to assume that. Uh, no, that's the different haystacks. There's three stolen names in this. Um, I don't know who stole whose name. <laughs> so let's. Uh, <laughs> I, I, I I'm going to say Colonel Brody made an he, appearance at he, some point. He, he didn't know. Oh. It was actually it was actually Giant Haystacks. Was he was haystacks? known. He was Who known as the lot. Ma- Sorry. Uh-huh. Wasn't there like a Haystacks Calhoun or somebody? What that, that, was, that was back in that was back in the sixties. That's where he got his name. Uh, okay. So yeah. see, I, I played Legends Wrestling. I just can't remember yeah, who and what age period. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> but in in North America, Giant Haystacks used the name the Loch Ness Monster. Oh. I, was he from actually? Was he actually from Scotland? At least? No, or? of course not. He was course not. of Irish descent from Manchester. Uh, that was one of the things that stuck out to me in this match and the other match from the uk is how and i know this is very true for football over there obviously but how much the fans were rooting for their hometown people or where they had traveled from to see regardless of if they even knew the wrestler especially at a time back then when the media was less profound i was like that was kind of cool to see like oh that guy's from my shire or whatever y'all say in the uk I just assume it's all like the middle earth. I watched there was there's a famous British wrestler and podcaster called Steve Knight whose entire gimmick was based around the fact that he was from Grimsby and you're not as a heel wrestler. <laughs> and he wrestled he wrestled in Brig, literally not five hundred yards away from where I'm sat right now when I was a kid. He wrestled Jody Flash and everybody hated him because he was from Grimsby. So therefore we're gonna hate you. That's because that's because we're from Brig and we hate people from Grimsby. That's just the way it is. Just you know, it's it's just 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 there, there you go. My mom and dad 
uh, met at a fight outside of a um, dance in Market Race. A wrestling <laughs> match or just a random bar match? No, no, just just a fight. Uh, okay, no, good. Like, yeah, no, so, so that's like, even better story. It's like, hey, there was a fight. Also, we met. <laughs> <laughs> that's not that's not strictly speaking they met at market raisin dances there probably was a fight because the lads from Gainsborough would go down to market raisin on a, a saturday night and they'd be dancing and then they'd have a fight i was it. you know do you know the song saturday night's all right for fighting by elton john yes that is about the lads from Gainsborough going down to racing oh. for a fight on a saturday night because their songwriter bernie Torpin went to school with my uncle Eastern sure. Market Race. Wow. <laughs> of so, there you go. You I, by the way, I but don't yes. understand the end of this match at all. You're going to need to explain. <laughs> I, I keep rewatching. I don't know what happened. Did they want to so, save face? Was there a legitimate yes. injury? There was no explanation. No. <laughs> yeah, this was. So for the if you watch this match, we're going to put the playlist on on the Twitter the tags and everything and the Facebook, and so you can go watch this playlist if you wish at, you, at your um, leisure. Yeah. But the finish, the finish of this match um, is it's a standard battle royal. It's a specifically standard British battle royal in the fact that it's dreadful. Because they're all super heavyweights, no one can do anything. And yeah, the, reason why you have guys, the reason why you have guys like Terry Rudge and, and, and uh, Taz and Johnny Wilson and even Pat Roach is because they're great technicians. So why stick them in a battle royal with a bunch of heavyweights that can't move? Doesn't make any sense whatsoever. If this was for a championship or a cash prize or something special, you'd think, yeah, this would be good. No. It was purely there to make giant A stacks look good. That's the only reason why it was there. Uh, okay. Uh, and yeah, um, it didn't. <laughs> and it gets down to the final two, which is Pat Roach and giant A stacks. And then um, a Stacks had this thing where we just kind of like avalanche people in the corner and that would be the end of the match. You wouldn't even bother with the pinfall because they couldn't get up anyway. And that's where you're just a Pat Roach here and Pat's too injured to continue. So they call it a no contest and um, and A Stacks wins, which in a match where the only way, literally the announcer says at the beginning, the only way you can win this match is by throwing all your opponents over the top rope and to the floor. So. I mean... I, I first of all, I'm used to it come mid 90s to see people get tossed out of battle royals or royal rumbles and re-enter because it's not over the top rope. But when you're in the audience, it's always confusing. And if you're in the audience since your first time seeing this type of match or even on TV, the commentators did not do a good job of explaining it past when they did the rules <laughs> like three times at the beginning. I, no. It was very confusing. Okay, now I'm watching it. I thought he pulled something or whatever. I was very confused. I assumed it was planned because of how quickly they all came in after him. But then when you told me this guy was a famous actor, I was like, oh no, something actually. So that was just that. No, no. That's just the finish. That's that's how it yes. couldn't be bothered to avalanche him out of the ring. No, just save did as much as they possibly could. I like Johnny Wilson trying to have a go at giant Aces. Well, I mean, you tried, but it's not going to happen, is it? So, <laughs> I mean, how hard is it to? It's very hard, actually, but still. Pat yeah, looks like I a mean, formidable guy, though. I might actually look up some of his matches. Curious. Who's that? Sorry, Pat Roach. Yeah, yeah. Oh, uh, yeah, yeah. No, he's he was a good. He was a solid wrestler. He's also sadly no longer with us. I saw him wrestle in person in my own town. We was actually talking about this week. Um, there's a bunch of us, um, including William Regal, funnily enough, and uh, Rob Roxanne and a few others get tagged in a, a gentleman called OST, who 
does lots of old British wrestling bills and a lot of the old British wrestling fans kind of follow it and ask questions and stuff. And I got talking about the time I watched Pat Roach wrestle in Brig, which is my hometown, tiny town of 5,000 people. And he was one of the biggest wrestling stars of all time is mm-hmm. in our hometown. So obviously it's quite cool. Um, some bizarre wrestling has gone on in Brig down the years. Davy Richards versus uh, one of the local guys I thought saw that match. It was like, this is phenomenal. Why is Davy Richards here? Davy <laughs> <laughs> Richards was like that. I saw Davy Richards quite a few places. I wondered, why are you here? Oh, you're going to go yes. leave and be a fireman, and then next week you show up in Dragon? What is happening exactly? <laughs> <laughs> he's back in MLW at the minute, isn't he? It's just like. I don't know. Yes. I don't understand. He's very confusing. He, well. I don't get his deal. I really don't. Yeah. I mean, I think we could probably do a two or three podcasts on David Richards, but here we go. Yeah. But yeah, so but the basic the basic principle of this match is that John A. Stacks wins because he's bigger than everybody else and he beat, beat people up meanly. That's basically it. He's a mean dude who can destroy people with one avalanche, okay. including some of the biggest stars in television. So, but there you go. So that was that. So you didn't like it then? <laughs> no, no, this was awful. This is all. <laughs> By the way, guys, we spent more time talking about this match than the match lasted. Just so you're, yes. just for reference. Good lord. It's literally, it's literally just run out. So, the next match is arguably one of my favorite matches ever of all wrestling, and it comes from about two years before I was born. I think it's 1972, and it features Leon Harris versus Les Kellett, and it's Bradford versus Barnsley, and it's it's just absolutely brilliant you have the premise of it it takes the premise of what mount evans rules was and turns it on its head and creates the most incredible glorious piece of art you could possibly imagine um in my opinion how do you feel about this day this one took me by shock because (laughs) you had me all over the way yeah you know all over the place with this playlist so we start out with death matches then we go to the absurdity of ddt which is still out there then we went to probably the worst match i've seen this year with that battle (laughs) royal so i'm going okay and i actually saved this one for last because i was like all right when they i actually bought into the promo initially i thought this was two like really gritty wrestlers that were going to have a really strong (laughs) style old uk and i was like this is the one i'm not looking forward to well, I was quite <laughs> quite amused last night when I watched this one because they sold this like a legitimate fight. And you got to keep in mind, guys, coming from an American perspective, I didn't know these two fellows. I haven't seen them. I'm not familiar with their work. I clearly am going to be now. There's stuff I want to watch <laughs> for sure. And it's one of the best comedy matches I've ever seen to the point that some modern comedy matches like the one we'll talk about next fell really flat for me because these guys perfected it. And what shocked me and I kind of had to keep, I have this issue and Derek yells at me all the time for it where I have this tendency to pull myself out of suspension of disbelief and become a little analytical, but then get lost and kind of sucked into the childlike wonder of it all. And I kept going, this was happening at a time when wrestling was very much real at least yeah. in the eyes of the public. We had not yeah. yet admitted that it wasn't, right? So yeah. the fact that the audience loved this match as much as they did and as much as I did 
and that it happened at a time where everything's supposed to be completely legitimate. I mean, that's true class because you're not going to get the fans buying in like they did with DDT and embrace the absurdity and let you get away with anything. So they still need to come off as if what they're doing is 100% shoot, which quite frankly, they did some moves in here that I dare anybody to do. There was a crazy (laughs) figure four lock that somebody needs to start using as their finisher because that was pure brilliance. I mean, that's stretching to the max. And so I was happily amused, saw where modern comedy wrestlers have kind of stolen things from or adapted them to their styles, but at the same time got completely sucked up into the match and went, yeah, I'd buy this. I would 100% buy this if I was in this audience and I was in that mindset back then that I think wrestling's kind of, there's something weird about it, but I think they might plan some things, but I think the outcome isn't predetermined, right? That's that's yeah, kind yeah. of how you would have felt in the 80s if you were a wrestling fan. Mm-hmm. This match yeah. works so perfectly because it allows that to happen while still being comedic and pure brilliance. Um, sometimes British comedy doesn't necessarily translate to American comedy. There's just different nuances that we have in our tastes. But this worked internationally. And that's what I loved about it. Because there's some sitcoms that are very popular over in the UK that I watch and I cringe. Just sitcoms are very popular in the US. Same reaction I'm sure you would have that I would yeah. love. But this one, I think, spoke all languages, which was kind of a theme on this list. It doesn't matter what the actual broadcast language was, I was able to enjoy it because it transcended. And this match transcended not just language, not just decade, not just art form, but entertainment as a whole. This was the most entertaining piece of wrestling I've seen in a very, very long time, if not ever. And this is a gem I'm so glad you brought to my attention. Thank you for saying all the things that have been in my heart about this wrestling match since I first saw it. I didn't see it, obviously, when it brought out because I wasn't born. This, the highlights of this match were on the very last World of Sports Wrestling highlight show in 1988. So it was the last time I saw wrestling on ITV for pretty much until, well, it was about two years later when they got WCW occasionally and it bounced around the regions and one thing and another. But people know that story. I've talked about it many times before. But and I watched this, and I watched it so many times. Like, the actual mechanics of this match. How does this match work? What makes it funny? What makes the crowd pop? And it's everything. To me, it's like the Marx Brothers. The Marx Brothers mm-hmm. work on the fact that you have a premise of what a classical narrative film is going to be, and the Marx Brothers play with what your expectations are going to be for what's going to happen. And their jokes are all about the expected thing and doing the opposite. And this wrestling match is all about how the Mount Evans rules work and how to take advantage of them and how to create chaos from order. And that's how it just, the the comedy comes from a very dark northern place. I'm a northerner, so it appeals to me in that way. But the actual like mechanics of it is pure wrestling joy of how to get a heel over, how to get a baby face over. But even just that, just the interaction between two people who got one another so well. And that's what makes this match for me. You know, it's it's just a stunning piece of wrestling artistry. You, you don't get matches like this. You get matches in the style of this. And arguably Torriano and um, Carl Cabana, who we'll look at next, are the two leading proponents of this style in the world today. But it, and it sounds really bad, like, oh, they don't make them like they used to, which everybody does. And they, but in this case, they actually don't. 
because you will not get two guys like this. Les Kellett was a journeyman wrestler and he was 50 years old before he became a star. And he became a star after being not a job guy, but an upper mid Carter who kind of like went along being, you know, a tough guy because he was ridiculously tough. Mm-hmm. There's all sorts of horror stories of him. Like he was training in a gym one day and um, uh, the dumbbell landed on his foot. And he patiently stood there, didn't say a word and waited till some people came and helped and took it off his foot. <laughs> didn't cry, didn't shout, didn't curse, just stood there. He was that tough. He was double hard. You know, he was insane. He, if there was, <laughs> Adrian Street once said, I was wrestling him somewhere in Manchester and he took a bump face first onto the concrete. And when he, when he got up, there was concrete and stuck in his eyebrows and he turned to face the crowd. He said, but the thing was, that wasn't to impress them. That was to impress me. Mm-hmm. <laughs> he said, he's, his personality is an intriguing layer of stuff. <laughs> but, I love the Marx Brothers comparison, by the way, in terms of yeah. the deconstructionism. Um, it's one of the reasons yeah. I love I'm not a late night talk show guy that the, the, you know it kind of bores me but it's one of the reasons i loved craig ferguson so much it's yeah. deconstructing a specific genre but still yes. playing to the audience and that's why i love those types of things and the marx brothers i love groucho always have so i'm glad that there's a there's a bond there as well because you're right that's exactly this vein yeah it, it's it, it's just insane and i think as well is leon Harris is the perfect character wrestler mm-hmm. because he's a trained actor. You know, he was in Aliens 3. <laughs> Believe it or not, like he he became a mainstay of British dramas in the 80s. He was an actor at the time. Before this, whilst this was just before this, before he got a big name, the reason why he's called Leon Aris mm-hmm. was when he finished university, he started teaching at a secondary school in Barnsley. Um, and with the pay for teachers in the UK back then wasn't great, so he would go wrestling at weekends to make his money up. But obviously he couldn't wrestle in Barnsley, and now if anybody found out he was wrestling, he'd lose his job. So he would fly to Paris on a Friday night, do two shows over the weekend, fly back to five black to Leeds Bradford Airport on the Sunday morning, Sunday night, uh, Sunday morning, sorry Monday morning, and be in work for half past eight and teach all week, and then go do the same thing next weekend. I have so many questions. I want to know how much (laughs) flight travel cost back then. I want to know how that was profitable. I want to know why Matt Stryker got fired from teaching. I have so many things I want to know. (laughs) 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 Well, you know, back then promoters paid for flights, didn't they? So that was the thing. If you were good enough, if you were good enough, and they pay you, you see. Yeah. One day, just show up, Teddy Hart. They'll pay you. You got to make your flight, man. (laughs) One day he turns up, and the promoter goes. Leon Aris has not turned up. We need Leon Aris. And he was like, all right then, I'll be Leon Aris. And he wrestled as Leon Aris. And it suddenly occurred to him, if I can be Leon Aris in Paris, I can be Leon Aris in any place. And no one will know that it's Brian Glover. So he changed his name to Leon Aris and wrestled across the UK as this heel character, which really got over. Um, as you can imagine, because he's so good at it. Mm-hmm. He's just so good at being a heel. And 
he, but he's a fully trained Shakespearean actor, the full nine yards. English teacher, a proper Renaissance gentleman who loved his wrestling and used wrestling as a, as a springboard. He's been in uh, uh, big films. Probably his most famous role was a film called Kess, where he played, he played the PE teacher who referees the football match whilst playing and giving commentary on it himself. <laughs> that so sounds like apropos. Over- it really does. Yes, it does. I and mean, he's it's just it's just brilliant at it. I'd love to send you that scene so you can see it. But yeah, yeah and 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 as a wrestler, he was just he wasn't he was very good technically, but he his main benefit was his character work. And yeah, this is just absolute genius. Absolute genius. Like how to work a foreign object, like how mm-hmm. to work a submission hold, how to sell how to do shine spots it's in the british rules with rounds but even that they play with that when um brian goes to the wrong corner in the first round (laughs) oh sorry and walks off it's just like and my favorite thing my absolute favorite thing is he's got he's got les in an e-bar and um les brings his leg back and and smacks him in the forehead with his um with his uh calf and and Leon Harris goes, you need that bugger all night, boy. You'll not shift me, which is just like, <laughs> like the that. most aggra- the most aggravating sounding thing you can imagine someone saying in a pub in Barnsley. <laughs> it's just like, and then of course, um, as he does it for the third time, comedy in threes, threes always work rather than twos, rule of threes. Les reaches up and bangs his mouth shut as his tongue's in. And it's just like, that's genius. You also have Max Ward, who is, arguably the best referee of the era and allows a match to go ahead at the time i hated him as a kid because he always seemed to be interfering in everything but now i realize he was actually enabling things to flow a lot better when you watch this match he doesn't get in the way of what they're trying to do and enables it at every turn and it's like that's exactly what you want in a wrestling match and it's just just beautiful absolutely beautiful but then I think we've we waxed lyrical about this stuff. We have talked about it for 12 yeah, minutes yeah. now. <laughs> I have nothing to add. I mean, it's just, don't, like, if there's anything on this list next to the Piranha match that you watch, watch this match. Yes, absolutely. Um, Les um, was, like we said, he was he was a an interesting character, to say the least. And it's just watching his matches now is, is just, just, you see so much of what happens in modern comedy wrestling, which is obviously such a big part of what modern wrestling is. People like Orange Cassidy, Carl Cabana, uh, and quite a few others, Kikitari, who we'll see later on this match, owe an awful lot to Les and to Brian Glover and their influence on the show. And that's the reason why I chose this one next, because it's a nice modern take. It's not as good, but they don't have the time to do it. They're limited by TV time and what modern TV time was. That match with Les Collett and Leonaris lasted for 26 minutes in a TV main event. You couldn't do, you can do that now, but it wouldn't happen now. Me and me and um, uh, my friend um, who um, Chrissy, who we watch uh, wrestling with on a Sunday night, used to say we used to watch because um, there used to be a replay of Impact on uh, Sunday nights that started at uh, nine o'clock, and we go, oh, it's 10.38, so the main event will be starting now. Because <laughs> it was 10.38 every week for months on end, because no one changed the format. That was it. Oh, main event's going to be exactly 22 minutes long. Yep. <laughs> that's it, you know, because that's, that's the way they did it. So, yes, 
this isn't as good as that one, but I still want to find your opinions on Colt Cabana versus Torriano. What were your thoughts on this one, sir? I was a bit let down. I don't know. This didn't do it for me. I just, I don't know if maybe the last match brought me to such a peak <laughs> that there was no way this was going to do it justice. Or maybe it's that I'm so familiar with Colt. You know, I've seen him, met him, talked to him plenty of times, uh, seen him wrestle this style that I kind of know his moveset to a certain extent that I know what to expect. So there was no, um, not not exceeding my expectations. That's not the right term. There was no like defying my expectations of what was subverting. That's it. There was no, yeah, well, <laughs> you're welcome, uh, Last Jedi fans. There was no subverting of my expectations on this one. It yeah. was what I expected. So I was like, okay, that was nice. On to the next, kind of, unfortunately, <laughs> which is what kind of happens sometimes if you watch things back to back. I mean, don't get me wrong, Colt's really good at this. I just thought Colt 10 years prior was better at this type of stuff because I bought him more as a legitimate wrestler because he was still doing so much non-comedy stuff. And once he went into this, no, WWE wouldn't have me because I didn't care about a title. So I want to prove to them wrong by always being the opening match comedy guy that I think it kind of hurt his character in a way, but he also built his look up to go. So I just, I think my personal feelings about Colt Cabana not not him as a human being. So let me say not my personal feelings about Colt. My per, my personal feelings about his character over the years, I think, is what hurt this for me. Because I just yeah. was like, okay, cool. I guess. Yeah. I understand. I mean, I think there's like... I think the best I saw of Colt Cabana was he was in the uh, GHC tournament one year. Is why he nearly lost his YouTube account, fully enough, because he put a bunch of uh, Noah matches on his YouTube account and then Noah asked them to take them down. <laughs> so I'm sorry. <laughs> naturally, naturally. Yeah. But yes, um, but he wrestled Minoru Suzuki and it was like the the stuff we, I think, Colt's best known for is obviously his comedy stuff, but he is a great British-style technical wrestler. And yes, when he, he wrestled Minoru, Minoru Suzuki, who was trained by those guys like Carl Gotch and Billy Robinson and, you know, Fujiwara, who Eddie could show off his technical chops in a way that Suzuki would appreciate. Suzuki worked with him exceptionally well. That, to me, is the best of Colt Cabana. It's like, I love the comedy stuff. In the same with Toriyano, I love the comedy stuff. And as uh, wrestlers who earn a living, then it's absolutely the right thing for both of them to do. I mean, Yano is a genuine badass. He's 2-0 in Mission Martial Arts matches. He could rip your arms off if he wanted to. He's one of those guys. But he earns about $600,000 a year for having a three-minute match where he tapes somebody to the railings and gets a count of victory every time. And that's true wrestling genius. You earn your money with what brings you to the dance and make the least least effort to get the maximum return. Mm. And that's, 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 what the, that's what the game's all about. Having said that, last year... Me and Dara watched the final of the Never Open Weight Tag Team Championships, which was Chaos versus a Chaos, Akada versus Yano and Show versus Akada Yano and Show, sorry, versus uh, the current champions, still champions a year later, Yoshihashi, Goto, and Ishii. And Yano was an absolute star in that match. He was a pure wrestler. He he didn't cheat because it was his own mates in his own faction. So he tried his absolute best to stay within the rules. 
but he had a genius match and it was awesome and he can really go when he wants to, when he has to, when he has to put a decent performance and he will do, but the majority of his matches are going to be like this and there's nothing wrong with that. And I like it for the spectacle because it's my two favourite comedians in mainstream wrestling. So I can understand, though, how you watching it coming from a slightly different position from me because you probably have seen more Cabana than I have and I've probably seen more Yano than you have. Mm -hmm. That's probably the reason why you don't like it as much as I do. And I can see that. It's okay. We're allowed to have different opinions. But yeah, (laughs) I can understand. I'm sure sure people would like this. I don't, you know, it. No, I'm not going to apologize for my opinions. Forget all you. It was whatever. It was okay. <laughs> no, you don't have to apologize for opinions. I'm not, I'm not apologizing. I started to. I'm like, who am I? That's not me. I'm unapologetically <laughs> unapologetic. No, it's cool. It's a cool match. It's a fun match. And it does what it says on the tin. And that's really what you're after with this match. Yeah. It's not an epoch-making, great comedy feud. It could potentially have been. But, of course, they end up being tag team partners. And Cabana's an honorary member of Chaos and... You know, there was a great story they had to tell. And Yano gave up his spot at the Battle Royal at Madison Square Garden so Cabana could be it, wrestle at Madison Square Garden, which I thought was a cool story to tell. So why you shipped, yeah, why you shipped Tori Yano over to New York for no apparent reason? <laughs> but <laughs> and you were just giving like, Cabana the match? <laughs> yeah, well, I think you made a very good point, which is if you're a booker and you're hiring Cole Cabana, this is exactly what you're paying for and exactly what you got. And I'm sure the fans in attendance loved it. Yeah, that's it. That's what it's there for. Um, shall we move on then to the next match? Uh, yeah, can we? <laughs> <laughs> this is back a KO. My... <laughs> back to DDT. This is a KOD open weight championship match, which is a ch- by the ch- <laughs> held by the champion of the time, who was Kota Ibushi. He keeps cropping up. I'm sorry, I'm wrestled... already. I need to. <laughs> And he wrestled Yoshihiko, not Yoshiko. That would be the, the, the horrible lady from Seed Lining who beat up at Yasukawa. No, Yoshihiko, the, well, let's be honest, blow-up doll that ended up being the number one contender to the KOD, KOD Championship wait, 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 what? in DDT. That wasn't a person? No, 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 it was, well, there's I not, mean. There's not a person in there? What are you talking about? Yeah, I mean, yeah. I hey, mean, Yoshi. I don't believe you. I, I, well, <laughs> Yoshihiko was actually at the um, Cyberfest main event. Um, she did come out to celebrate with Yonakiyama after he successfully defended the KOD title and was hanging off his shoulders uh, when, when like, I love the fact that Yonakiyama is champion of DDT Pro Wrestling and is mates with Yoshihiko. That's a storyline in the company. But yeah. also... Yeah, they also have two books that are currently the uh, Iron Man Championship contenders and champion. Uh, the Young Books biography is the number one contender to the uh, Iron Man Championship. But that's DDT for you. Anywho, <laughs> back to this match. Yoshihiko, who is um, an inert opponent, shall we say, <laughs> has an absolutely five-star classic with Kotribushi. I can absolutely understand why this drives Cornet fans nuts. Um, but I love it. I absolutely adore this. It's just mental. And it's just like, there used to be the phrase, wrestle a broomstick, right? Terry Funk could wrestle a broomstick. That was the phrase. He could make anyone look good. And this mm-hmm. is living the living definition of that. And people yeah. get angry about it. And I don't understand why. 
you're literally wrestling something that can't move. <laughs> and the crowd are absolutely going nuts for it. So what's the problem? Anyway, your thoughts, Dave? I, I don't have any problem, except if you're a fan of Jim Cornette, in which case you're backing the wrong horse in that race. Um, yes. For many reasons. But what I loved about this match, I had seen clips, but I'd never actually sat down and watched the whole match. It's very infamous. You realize how good Kota Bushi is. I mean, yes, oh, yeah. you realize how good Kota was, you know, seven years before this, but sometimes we take for granted it. And this is everything you just said with different words, essentially. But sometimes we take for granted selling a move and how much effort yeah. goes into a move. And we forget that a Canadian destroyer is 99% the other guy, quite frankly. Yeah. So, I mean, you need a guy that can do, you know, a flip and Coda can flip. And that's why I love wrestling. But what shocked me about this match and the reason that it works so well is. If you watch this, there are moments where you will forget that it's a doll, even if it's only a brief second. I know that sounds ridiculous, but even if there's a yeah. brief second, it will happen where Coda is so good that just for a fraction of a second, you're like, wow, how, oh, wait, that's a doll. Right, 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 right. It's, <laughs> it's more limp than it should be. But everything he does is with such precision and perfection, and the fans are so impressed. Well, I think there's, it goes from absurdity to they know the storyline to, okay, this is working. That, <laughs> And we'll, I, would do it. I did appreciate the dive out of the ring because the doll did have a handler that would come in all in black, which was just fantastic, just like you would. <laughs> I mean, if you really like magic, uh, not the card yes. game, the tricks, yes. there are actually things like this that they do with dolls um, where they'll go from making a doll move to switching it out with a person like doll to life is a fairly popular magic illusion. And so... This was almost the wrestling version of it, but so much better because nothing was hidden. It was all happening in front of your eyes and you'll still buy into it at some point Yeah, because Kota Ibushi is that good. And there's nothing funnier than watching Kota scale a turnbuckle to do a yeah. Phoenix splash. And someone comes in and uses the doll as a prop to knock him first, <laughs> you know, into the corner. That's just, it's fantastic. And I... If you don't find this match amusing, fine. But if this match offends you, I just don't get it. I don't get why you watch no. wrestling. I mean, I, there's, well, no, I, I, I always say there's wrestling out there for everybody. So maybe that's how I should better phrase it. I can actually totally get it if you don't like this, fine. I totally get it if you don't like death matches. I totally get it if you don't like WWE, whatever. That's the brilliance yeah. of wrestling. There is something for everybody. So when somebody says, oh, I don't like pro wrestling, that you and I, but I used to like wrestling. I'm like, well, you haven't looked everywhere yet. And this oh, no, is a no, great no. example. Yeah. This whole playlist is a great example of how you can go anywhere in the world and you will find something that meets your particular interests. Um, this playlist is kind of like the rule 34 for wrestling for me, is what I realized partway through. If you're familiar <laughs> with internet rules, uh, that's what that's what that's what a lot of this became essentially. And this match was quintessential for that reason. And I thought the doll was going to win at one point. Yeah, that's it. There's, there's literally like, yeah, it, you, it's just, 
it just is amazing. And you're absolutely right about like, I have this all the time. People go, you, you like old school wrestling. Wrestling isn't the same as it used to be. I'm like, no, it's exactly the same as it always has been. Mm-hmm. It's just different, just presented in a different way. And you like certain things. I had one guy once said to me, wrestling isn't realistic anymore. And I was like, I'll honestly tell you, wrestling is more realistic in, with certain people than you've ever seen it before. You watch Minoru Suzuki or Kazuchi Sakuraba, Sakuraba or if you watch uh, Layla Hirsch or Meiko Satomura or a bunch of people who have genuine fight backgrounds that look like they know what they're doing in wrestling ring. And I sent him to watch that and he came back and he said, yeah, but that's not realistic, is it? That's just like, you know, that's like amateur wrestling. It's not real. And I'm like, what do you mean? And what he meant was he wanted what wrestling, he perceived wrestling to be real. And what he perceived wrestling to be was like, Memphis 80s, Jerry Waller, Bill Dundee, or UWF, Bill Watts stuff, which is not real. <laughs> right. Yeah, and even that like, stuff exists. That yeah, stuff you can yeah. find oh, in yeah. modern wrestling as well. There's promotions that do that. Are they as popular? Yeah. No. But hey, there's also video libraries and yeah. YouTube. I mean, you can find so much. But they do do that style still in many promotions, just yeah. with more pyro. That's it. I mean, West Coast Championship Wrestling out of Portland do a cracking TV show every week. It's written by the same guy who used to book it back in the 80s. They get some big names down. They have some ongoing feuds. It's week-to-week episodic wrestling like you used to watch, and you can find it free on YouTube. 45-minute show every week, and I guarantee if you like old-school wrestling, you will be entertained, and it's free. But... Ah oh, well, it's not on WWE. It's like, well, what do you expect them to do? They're not going to. They want to make wrestling people will buy, and they won't buy that now. You know, small audience in Portland love it. Audience is there every week. There's people from all over the world watch that show, and you know, it's it was on national TV at one point as well. You know, they had a cable uh, company that used to use them for entertainment and stuff. But there is wrestling that you will find, <laughs> and it's <one laughs> like the wrestling you used to like. You know, and there's actually a thing, Darren and I talked about this on our show, The Wrestling Rewind, a couple weeks ago, where as we're seeing a certain decline in WWE, if you will, I, I don't buy into it. It's going to find a way to still be the number one forever just because of value of name. But pull them out of the picture. Wrestling has become very territorial once again. AEW is oh, very, yeah. especially during the pandemic, but AEW is very Florida. Um, the, you know, the South and the East Coast is very much becoming known for death matches. Ring of Honor is still out there. Memphis area, or Nashville rather, Impact's thriving. So California, well, AEW's kind of taken most of their talent, but PWG at that time, they were really building up something very beautiful. And that's where a lot of guys that you had go into Lucha Underground came from as well so we're seeing wrestling almost we make a joke that wrestling repeats itself every 20 years and so i feel as though we're seeing more of the territory era being able to happen again except the difference is you don't have to live in that territory to watch it now because you have things like Mm. iwtv or uh new japan streaming service or WWE yeah. streaming service where you can watch all these independent promotions or big promotions from all over the world. And yet they build a very loyal fan base in a specific area and have wrestlers that wrestle just there and occasionally visit other promotions or do interpromotional things with each other. 
So it's very cool. And I think it's wrestling goes, it ebbs and flows, right? It always has. And I think we're in definitely a down period right now, like most entertainment is. But I don't think we're that far away. I think we're only a couple years away from another boom. And I'm not saying it's the current players that are going to make it happen. But I think it's inevitable because that's always how wrestling has flowed. I think this, I, I've been saying this for quite a long time. I, I, I started really writing about wrestling about seven years ago. And I said at the time, we went away from a wrestling of geographical territory and we went to a territory of style. So oh, like, I like that. Yeah. It, yeah. Like the Shikara was about long term storylines, comedy wrestling, mm. and just standout matches all mixed and mashed into this, this, this thing. And Ring of Honor was about, American Strong Style, which it's, I'm, hmm. Ring of Honor is always kind of like, it's, it, it was something we didn't get in the UK, though there was a big fan base for it through tape trading, one thing or another. Okay. But I think like the American Strong Style is kind of really what, it was kind of really what King's Road style was. That's what it was based on. But, you know, there was a certain house style of Ring of Honor, which is very much there. And, you know, especially in North America, you could say that. And certainly, but I think, again, it came from Japan. Like, mm-hmm. New Japan is strong style. All Japan was King's Road. Joshi companies had their own house style as well. And I think that's really where we've be- where it's become, like, you're right, it's, it's the territories again, but it's down to, like, the style of the organization, where they're going to book it, how they're going to book it. There wasn't a ton of perceivable difference between the way WCW wrestling matches worked and wwe wrestling matches worked there was different styles in production but the basic principles and mechanics of a wrestling match are always going to be similar in a north american promotion and you don't get that now i you know, I, you, I do see what you're saying somebody could dissect that and be like no but the storylines and just the entire feel of everything was so radically different but in terms of mechanics i think you hit a very good point and you hit a great point there in terms of territorial styles though it is interesting those territorial styles do seem to follow certain geographical styles but i think that that's almost a nature versus nurture argument for professional wrestling which might be a fascinating study for another day but it's making me think back to when dragon gate usa um, debuted i was at its first show and i was at evolve's first show um, because of gabe and because of ring of honor and seeing something different yeah, in that ECW arena where I'd seen so many other shows was for Dragon Gate USA's first show, um, whatever it was called, Open the Freedom Gate, everything's open to something gate, was, uh, <laughs> it was it was fantastic because I saw so many people that I hadn't seen. And that's one of the things that uh, Deathmatch Wrestling doesn't get enough credit for, and they should, is introducing Western fans to a lot of Japanese talents. Yeah. that come over here or European talents. I'm thinking about you, um, person whose name I'm now forgetting. That's rude. Uh, but Jack, Thumbtack Jack. Um, that's not your name. Yeah, that's, yeah, yeah, yeah. Thumbtack Jack. That's you were brilliant. Yeah, I loved you. And I, I went to shows to see you because there's no way I was going to go over to Germany to get to see. No. Um, oh, who was it? XWF <laughs> or whoever that promotion was. Uh, and so you know what uh, I'm talking about. WXW. Yeah, yeah, yes, yeah, thank you. Yeah. So they started bringing people over. And like Akira is phenomenal as well. But seeing these Japanese towns brought over to the U.S. like they're doing with deathmatch wrestling is opening my eyes. And then I go and look at the promotions of these eyes of these guys. And so I get more into New Japan and you look at the way reinvigorated people's careers. I mean, it's no secret that AJ Styles is by and far my favorite wrestler. And 
you have to credit New Japan for allowing him to become the WWE champion, which is such a surreal thought for so many yeah, of us that wanted to see that happen for so long. And now he's one of the yeah. top eight guys in the WWE. He's going to comfortably retire. The guy's in his mid-40s, and he's... I couldn't be happier. Look what it did for Moxley. Look what it did for Jericho. Look what it did for so many people yeah, yeah. in AEW as well. So it it was always one of those goals that people had in Ring of Honor of I'm going to do my tours in Japan and then I'll make it to WWE. And yeah. now it's almost become I'm going to make a name for myself in the US so that I can get booked in Japan and make a career there. I'm looking yeah. at you, Gallus and Anderson. So yeah. No, no, and it's arguably yeah. Gallows and Anderson would have been better off if they stayed in New Japan. I mean, they you know, did get to be in wrestle in uh, Undertaker's best WrestleMania match of all time against Styles. So <laughs> I don't know; they did get fired very soon after, but nonetheless, literally the ne- literally the next day, I was so shocked. <laughs> I was so shocked. Nobody's more shocked than me. I I was in there on a uh, Styles's stream when he was just like, I don't even know what to say to this. Back when you know wrestlers no. could stream. But um, (laughs) anyway, so but that's one of the things that I love about Japan is it's always been very influential in wrestling, but you weren't necessarily aware of it. I mean, John Laurinaitis is such a great example, right? Like why on earth is Funkhauser in charge of so much in WWE? Well, he actually had a really successful career in Japan. I mean, you could make a very good living there. And at the end of the day, you have guys like Omega where people always ask, well, when's he going to come to WWE? When's he going to come? Well, he doesn't need to. He really yeah. doesn't need to. And eventually, obviously, you know, whatever with AEW, this happened. But you have your Ospreys. You can just stay there. You can yeah. make a very good living. And they're not as – it's no longer a spectacle to see an American wrestler or a British wrestler. They're much more accepting. They're willing to make them champions. Thank you, Lesnar. Yeah. So – it's been fascinating to watch that transition as well, but I don't think Japan gets enough credit for its impact on making U.S. stars that otherwise no, would have that. been pushed to the side. And I think I think as well, there are still people who will say Kazuchi Okada isn't any good until he's been to WWE, and it's like he's had the best matches of any wrestler on earth for the last ten mm-hmm. years. He's sold more tickets than most any other wrestler on this planet, and. He earns around about three to five million dollars a year. Why does he have to prove himself to anyone? He's done his thing. He's become the best wrestler in the world, arguably, because he all these things are subjective. In my opinion, he's the best male wrestler of the last fifteen years. He's who, done who, everything he needs who to are do. You putting there? Uh, I missed uh, Kazuchika Okada. Kazuchika oh, Okada. Got it. Yeah. Raymond. Mm, I mean, yeah, it's I like, like that. Larry, it's vicious. Yeah. Yeah, it's just like, why does he have to go anywhere to prove anything to anybody? If you're asking the question why Okada isn't isn't proven himself yet, you haven't been watching wrestling. No. It's just that's no, ridiculous. This is, this is the thing. Is is like Terry Rudge. It was it go back to that that guy when he was watching the Battle Royal. Sure. There was there was a guy who earned a very good living being a professional wrestler. Was not a TV star. Very rarely on television. Didn't work in North America. Rarely worked in Japan. Retired to Lincoln, 45 miles down the road. Referees matches for the local promotional weekends as a, as a star attraction. And quite happily retired and made a living out of doing what he's doing. Well, I think you can give Akata some props, too, in terms yeah. of... You look at Shinsuke Nakamura, right? He did get yeah. super over, so credit to him. But one of the reasons he left Japan, sorry to say, was that he didn't want to wrestle that strong style anymore. 
he was getting torn up and he was getting older. I mean, WWE does have a, I don't know if I should say safer because that's never really accurate in wrestling, but mm. they do have a milder. If you, he was able to tone down his style. He didn't have to get chopped as hard every night. Can I just say that? Can we, can we leave it at that? You, you guys get what I'm saying. Wow. Well, so, yeah. I mean, yeah. Yeah. Well, also, I he think, just wanted think... to go where AJ Styles did. That was also one of his quotes. Well, AJ went there. That's where I want to go. Kota Bushi said the same yeah. thing when he came over for base. Like, well, I just want to be where AJ is. But um, <laughs> that was one of the things. And so that's one of the things that disappointed fans. Like, well, we didn't get the, the Shinsuke Nakamura that we saw in Japan. Well, no, duh. That's why he left Japan. Yeah, I mean, I think as well as the other thing is, I don't think the Japanese style is as hard as people think it is. In the sense of, yes, it is a lot stiffer, but they're only wrestling those matches maybe once a month if you're a main eventer. Mm. You know, you re- you wrestle two weeks on, two weeks off. You're wrestling six man tags, eight man tags. You maybe only have three or four minutes of ring time a night, and then you put in a big match on on the big show. If you're the champion, Okada did the brutal thing of a two year run as heavyweight champion. Yeah. And he had to wrestle everybody at full bore once a month for two years. So to give you an example, similar Io Shirai, um, when she was stardom, wonder stardom mm-hmm. champ, sorry, world stardom champion, basically said after she had her 10, 10 month run as champion, which really established the company. And she really put the time in to make the stardom championship worth something. After she'd done that, she said, I never want to wrestle a, a main event match again. I'll be a comedy wrestler for the rest of my career and I'll be quite happy. Yeah. <laughs> but. Having said that, I don't think it's as stiff as people think it is. And because basically you get two weeks on, two weeks off. And because of the way Japanese public transport works, you're always home in your own bed. You're not staying in hotel rooms all the time. Mm. You know, all right, if they go to the different islands, they will be. But generally speaking, they're a bullet train away from wherever they're going to be. You know, so it's, it's, I don't think necessarily it's as hard, but that's a stylistic question. And, you know, We'd have to ask somebody who's worked both styles. So yeah, I see what you're saying. Frequency versus stiffness. Like, where does that measure yeah. out? Yeah, that'd be very interesting yeah. to ask somebody for sure. But speaking of, you know, working a lighter style for the good of your body and the length of your career, we've got a main event of this particular um, playlist, which is Ebisan, now known as Kikitaru, versus Kushinibo Kamen um, in Osaka Pro, in arguably the greatest comedy feud. Of all time. Uh, what did say. I watch? <laughs> <laughs> well, Kikitaru, for a star, or ever son, um, he was already made a, made a minor appearance on this particular show because he was obviously part of the um, uh, Wrestling Road Diaries with Cobb Help, help friend, me Cobb out Banner. because they're in masks and the subtitles again. Thankfully, there were subtitles, but they were in Japanese. Uh, who was yellow and who was polka dot? <laughs> okay, then. So polka dot was Kushinobu Kamen. We'll call him okay. Kamen from now on because his first name is barely pronounceable. And the the more yellow color was Ebisan or Kikitaru. Gotcha. Great yeah. masks. And they are awesome masks. Osaka Pro is just insane wrestling. Uh, we first came across a Psycho Pro, one of their early shows, which was booked by their original owner, Super Delphin, which me and Dara looked at. Uh, when Dara, I, I did a double show with Dara where I made him watch Battle Arts, a shoot promotion, a dead serious, absolute straight up and down, shooty shoot, shoot promotion, and then a Psycho Pro, which is so not. <laughs> it's very Shikara. Um, it's, it's like Japanese Shikara, but like on meth. I don't know. 
Well, I, a lot of a lot of these guys came from originally from Michinoku Pro, okay, uh, which was the which was the big influence on Shikara, obviously. Um, I don't know uh, what I'm talking about, and I still put dots together. You can check me out yes. weekly Friday nights, guys. The WrestlingRewind.com. There you go, Michino. <laughs> but to give you to give you the link, okay, if you look at the Michinoku Pro referees shirts and look at the Shikara Pro referee shirts, it's the same design, just slightly different colors. And the reason why Shikara had a blue ring with white corner pads was because of Michinoku Pro. Um, and they borrowed a lot of things stylistically from that. Anywho, um, but Asaka Pro was kind of like the next gen of amping the crazy up. Um, and if, but when they did that earlier show, they were working a nightclub where the fans are sat on the floor around the ring because there are no chairs in this nightclub. Mm-hmm. And the main story of the show is Dick Togo and his big dick army uh, we're going to invade the show, and that was the that was the premise of it. And Fantastic. indeed, one one would argue, Dick Togo is still got an, a big dick army. They're just called Bullet Club these days. Anywho, um, <laughs> Kikitaru versus Ebersan. This was this was an ongoing feud for a long time because they're just two comedy geniuses, and it follows very much the same stakes. It's more along the lines of Toriano and Colt Cabana than Les Kelly and uh, Leonaris, but the principles, they're still the same. Here are the rules of a wrestling match, and we're going to subvert them at every opportunity and still have a wrestling match, even though the basic principles of a wrestling match happening are kind of loosely around the story we're going to tell. And that's why I love this match, because it's just absolutely crazy. And then, of course, at the end, Ebersan, mm-hmm. sorry, uh, K- Kamen, who is proven himself to be a less than great wrestler, busts out a um, oh Stardust Press to finish the match. And this is, is that like, what that move's called? Because um, I I was blown away and was not <laughs> expecting that at the end of the match. I lost yeah. my marbles when that happened. Yeah, <laughs> not st- Stardust Press. Sky Twister Press, that's it. That's I was going to say, Stardust has never done anything good, nor has Cody Rhodes, so it can't possibly be associated with a name like that. You're welcome, no, the fans. Star- um. The Stardust... <laughs> the Stardust... How do an alien I forgot both you and Dara hate Cody Rhodes. Um. <laughs> What's he going to do? His brother already blocked me on Twitter. Oh, dear. <laughs> Dustin's fairly inoffensive. Anyway, no, um, I, he just uh, we Dare and I both used to work for uh, the same wrestling website, and we did a piece one time. Not we, but our site did a piece one time that Goldust got offended <laughs> by and just blocked everybody on our staff. And we we're like, <laughs> okay, uh, whatever. Um, but yeah, <laughs> but I, you know what I loved about this match? True story. I'm also blocked by Hulk Hogan because my old radio co-host said something offensive to him and. His PR people are like, oh, well, get rid of his radio co-host, too. I'm like, what, what do I do? But now Dara says just wear him like badges of honor, so that's what I do. Uh, this match, one of the things that I loved, and I thought it did much better than the Colcabana match and the Toriano, was um, it was more believable in terms – well, not more believable. It was – there was more wrestling. If Well, there was more moves. I don't even know what I'm trying to say. There was more entertaining – legitimate wrestling-esque things that I would expect to see for this size guy. So I yes. really enjoyed it. And I'm actually watching the finisher again right now. And that's an absurd move. <laughs> that's crazy. That's that's do do an extra 360 on a on Twisted Bliss and that's what you get. But um that's this match made me happy 
because I have no I no storyline for me, clearly. No idea what's yeah. being said. Commentary that's in a language I don't speak. Uh, subtitles, which are there, but again, in a language I don't speak. I can't see f- facial here at all because they're wearing masks. So emotions are all coming from the referee who needs to get crazy props for his role in this match. <laughs> Referees never get enough credit. And this guy was a champ. And oh, yeah. I, mean, I always, this is how you, WWE, this is how you do little dance battles without them being hokey and cringy. This was fun. Everybody in attendance loved it. I was like, oh, he went for a low blow. You can't do that. I'm like, what am I doing? These are clowns. They're literally dressed up like yeah. absurd, like <laughs> cartoon figures. And I'm getting like offended. Like, that's disrespect. Like, what am I? But at the same time, it was fantastic. Clearly, the audience loved it and laughed. The commentators had a very difficult time keeping it together. I'm sure if you, <laughs> this is your native tongue, you would absolutely be cracking up with them. And it closed the show, I'm assuming, based upon what I saw at the end here. So, oh, yeah, fantastic. Yeah, yeah. This, was, this was the main event. Um, yeah. They, they, they had a long-running feud for about three years of just you, matches like this. Do you know what they're throwing <laughs> out to the crowd at the end? Because I still uh, wasn't able to figure it out. Candy. Obviously, oh, just Candy? Because he came to the ring. That was one, that's one of the things that blew my mind. Even the entrances to this match were absurd. Because he's coming to the ring, he's got necklaces of candy and whatnot. Yeah. The children were putting on him. I'm like, is this just what happens? Do I, I don't. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> it was, yeah. <laughs> I just had to accept. You're, sometimes you find yourself in a situation where you're like, okay, I just accept this. And I'm not even going to question my reality right now. This is my reality and I'm living in it. And that's what this yeah. match did to me. No, this, that, that was exactly what this was. It's just, it's just. Obviously, top babyface movies to give children sweets. They're going to like that. Uh, <laughs> parents, not so much. Um, but yes, and so yeah, it is. It's just good, fun, family-friendly wrestling. That's all it is. It's big pantomime wrestling, and these guys are just awesome at it. And you can tell that they, the you know, like um, Japanese companies will want to do it, but. You know, like the Brett versus Sean DVD rivalries DVD that WWE did, where they had a sit down interview with two um, classic opponents, and you right. know, went through the, all of the, yeah. These two did that about two years ago over this feud, Good. and they sat down in the ring and had a match afterwards, and they did a like twenty minute joke interview based on this feud that they'd done in Osaka Pro fifteen years before, and then had a match afterwards again. <laughs> it's just like. They just like do it. This it, it's a comedy feud, but they just did it the same way. <laughs> it's just like it's a real feud, and it's like, yeah, why wouldn't you? It just is just is ace, and it's it's technically very good wrestling. Kikitaru is a technically very good wrestler. You know, I brilliantly saw him tag with Kiyoji Muto one night, the Great Muta, mm-hmm. and he he came out dressed as the Great Muta. He had a mask like Muto's, Muto's mask, and he wore Muto's tights, and he did all of Muto's moves, just as homage to one of his wrestling heroes, who he was tagging with. He did like the. That. I always like that. Sorry, stuff. I've yeah, always enjoyed did. that kind of stuff. Uh, Ricochet's people's moonsault. It's just things just make me happy. <laughs> just makes me yeah. happy. I mean, do I need it to be Eugene? No, but did I like you, Eugene? Yeah. You know, so yeah. I don't know. Sometimes it just works. <laughs> yeah, he came in and did power drive elbow, and then he did the backflip elbow across the ring, and then went down on his knees and put the I love you sign up like Muta does, 
And Muta came in the ring to go his fingers at the right angle and then go back out the ring again. <laughs> it's, like, it's just genius. It's just like these two just get wrestling. It takes an awful lot of wrestling IQ to be able to make this stuff work because otherwise it just looks like you're being disrespectful and hokey. And you have to have respect for wrestling to make this work or else none of it is believable and therefore you don't buy into the universe that you're watching. That's why Santino Morello has one of the best wrestling schools in the world. Yeah. Because to be as brilliant as he was at comedy wrestling, he had to understand the fundamentals so well, the psychology so well. Anybody who watched that, I think it was Elimination Chamber match a decade ago or whatever, where you thought he was going to win, and maybe he should have because the crowd sure would have bought into it, that shows that you can be hokey, you can be comedy, but at the flip of the switch, and this is what Colt never got, you can be the guy if you're yeah. over. R-Truth yeah. can be the WWE champion if Vince McMahon decides, and he'll be instantly yeah. over, and the fans will buy his merch like crazy because he understands the business, and somehow he doesn't age either, but he understands the <laughs> business, and that's what it yeah. takes to be a great comedy wrestler it's not just going out there and goofing around because if you do that you get injured and you don't yeah. get booked and you don't make money and the companies don't make money so and don't get me wrong colt's obviously i don't want to somehow deride him in any way because i have tons of respect for him he's just become kind of the american example to put against these guys because he's on our playlist here so you know no disrespect yeah, except yeah. for all the no. you know but my point is that brilliance that we see in this final match here, that brilliance that we saw in the Leon match earlier, and the brilliance that we saw in the Colt match, the brilliance that we saw in these DDT matches, it's all people who really get what fans want and give it to them, but still leave them wanting just a little bit more. And if you give them too much, they're not going to tune in next week. And in yeah. this culture that we've found ourselves in of instant satisfaction and we need things to play out immediately slow burn sl excuse me slow burn storylines like these two had that led to the culmination here is why this match was not just funny but the crowd adored it and it had a payoff and it closed the show and it closed the pay playlist because it had build it had psychology it had what makes wrestling great yeah Exactly. It just works. These two, the timing, the timing these two have is just incredible because comedy takes timing. It's it's mm -hmm. how you lay things out. I and mean, it's, it's just like, I'm just watching it now as, as we're doing it. Kikitaru, ever son as he was then, going up to do the, the rope walk, like um, mm -hmm. the, the Shinzaki's the rope walk. And of course he's going to fall off. You're kind of expecting it. You're waiting for it to happen. Because you know he's going to fall off, because he's not as good as Shinzaki is. Mm -hmm. So, of course he's going to fall off. But that doesn't make it any less funny. No, not at all. No. Not at all. Yeah. No, it's just like, <laughs> it, it, everything's, there's nothing wrong with predictability. Because that's what makes it funnier. You've seen it before, but you know it's going to happen, and that's going to make it funny. <laughs> you know? It's just... It is. These two are just absolute geniuses of wrestling. And I think they're probably, you know, they come to it from a different way, but they are the natural heirs of what uh, Leon Harris and Les Kellett were doing in the 70s. There's a few other guys as well who were just as good. And I think 
if we ever do this show again, I'll, I will I'll dig out some gems for you to see what you think of them. Um, but, I, but I hope you've enjoyed this wrestling journey around my wrestling brain, really, because that's what this was. This was stream of consciousness wrestling choice. I absolutely did. Thank you so much for having me on. And thanks for finding a theme that worked for me. And thank you, YouTube's algorithm, for letting it break into your consciousness and it kind of flowed together. <laughs> I think we, we both have a taste for the macabre, the bizarre, the funny, the psychology. It's We have a love for what it is. And that's why Dara and I always say we have, you know, it's the the only podcast hosted by people that don't hate wrestling. That's what Darren yeah. and I try and thrive on. And well, that's it, what I, it is, you know, that's what we love. There's something out there, yeah. man. Something out there for everybody. And you, <laughs> we got something. So I'll, I'll exactly. gladly do something in the future with you. And by the way, just, you know, nice little pat on the back. Thanks for what you do for us as well. We love being associated with Drew Penny. Does wonders for Thanks. us. And your fans are absolutely amazing. They want to find me. I'm on Twitter at the Dave Stevens, and you can check us out. Go to thewrestlingrewind.com, redirects you directly to my YouTube channel where we upload video of our shows as well, in addition to the audio that you guys find on True Penny. So check us out there if you want to join in the live chat and such. Thank you very much. You can find me at Sheriff Lone Star on Twitter. You can find the show True Penny Show on Twitter. And on Patreon, where you can keep the Troopany Show free for, every, uh, for everyone. You can also find us on Facebook as well. If anyone would like to like our Facebook, we only have about 67 followers on Facebook. Though apparently, Facebook people don't like wrestling much. Mm. But, eh, what can you do? I've tried. I've tried pushing the Facebook as long as I possibly am, but no one's interested. Meh. Anywho. It's not the best platform <laughs> to get them on. Uh, it's just not the way. It's not. It's like... It's like a, a, no end of wrestling companies, um, magazines and stuff that I've written for. Like, what? have you got Facebook? I'm like, why? <laughs> yeah, but do you really? No. Just to go on Twitter like everybody else. And we're just like, uh, no. Anywho. Um, yes. Go follow us there. We'll be back next week. But thank you very much for listening. Thank you very much, Dave. It's been an absolute joy to talk to you for the last hour and a half about pro wrestling that we both love. You got it. All right, and we'll see you soon. Take care. Bye.